From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 265. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, FreshBooks, and Direct Mail. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Mr. Mike Hurley. Welcome home. Hello, Jason Snell. I have a hashtag Snell Talk question for you. Oh, Could you believe that's how we're going to start the episode? That's unusual for us to start with the first segment, but okay, I'll allow it. It comes from Raphael. Raphael asks what your daily average word count is, and I wanted to maybe refine it a little in case you don't know the answer to that question, but you may. Um, And I wanted to add to it to say, like, this time of the year when you're writing reviews, and we're going to talk about some of those later on, uh, what is kind of the average amount of words that you will write in a day if you're really focused? Okay, um, so I don't, my job is not just sit and write words. Mm -hmm. So I don't have, I'm not a, like, I know novelists and they have a target count for every day. When you have done NaNoWriMo, you've tried to do a, like a target. Oh, sure. You You have to, if you're going to, if you're going to write 50,000 words in 30 days, you've got to, you know, write a, what, 1,666 words a day. Uh, but the, um, or is that the target? I can't even remember. Anyway, there's a there's a target number. Write two thousand words a day if you want it. It's going to be in in that ballpark. One thousand six hundred and sixty six times thirty is forty nine thousand nine hundred and eighty. So you'd have to write I don't know like twenty words of thank yous at the yeah. end or something. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. One thousand six hundred sixty seven words a day. Um, the truth is that my job is not just that. I have all sorts of other things I do, including this podcast. And uh, running my own little podcast network and editing, you know, some of that stuff and editing other podcasts. And yep. I have other parts of my job. So I'm not just sitting and writing. If I was sitting and writing full time uh, and that was the only thing I did was just writing words, um, even then you have to actually use the stuff and do research. Uh, you know, you have to think about what you want to write about and you, you have to try stuff out. And, and so the words are just a, a part of the just one part of the job. So I think your refining of this question is good. I would say, you know, my Macworld column is usually about a thousand words. A lot of the pieces that I write are a thousand words. Link pieces are much shorter, obviously, when I'm just quoting something and linking to it. I could, you know, so I don't have an average word count. Uh, Your refined answer, like if I'm really cranking, yeah, I could totally write six, seven, eight thousand words in a day if that's all I'm doing the whole day. And it's for something where I have a heavy deadline and I just have to do it um or and that happens in, sometimes in, similarly but in the inverse if it is something you are incredibly like focused on right like that there is a well, thing where you're like i am all in on this like not necessarily as a deadline but like you've you've, you've had a spark right and you're just going <laughs> yeah. for it sure although nothing really focuses you focuses you like a deadline <laughs> and i find that those i find Very that true. those those days where i'm writing and writing and writing and writing are generally motivated by having something that has to get done or that yep. i have to dive deep into yep. because otherwise because it's taxing like writing that much you are doing nothing else and you're you get tired you get mentally exhausted from the focus that's required of that and so you know it's not something i could do at that level every day but it does happen um the iphone review that i just posted on six colors that's only about four thousand words but usually my pieces are uh, even you know os reviews or whatever they're a little bit longer and uh you know i don't know I, I don't know i can i can definitely write several thousand words in a sitting if i need to uh, it just depends on the context of it, but there's a balance there of of the research goes into it. Um, the the you got to think about what you're going to write. You can't just write random words. Um, so it's it's complicated. But I can be very very productive when I 
want slash need to be. Can't we all? Can't we all? All no, right. No, we so, can't all. It's hard. Well, maybe some of us can, some of us can't. We'll find out. Uh, thank you so much to Raphael for the hashtag Snow Talk question. If you would like to send in a question to help us open an episode of the show in the future, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snow Talk and it will be picked up. Uh, I would like to, uh, I think this may be the last time now that we talk about our St. Jude fundraiser that's been going on throughout the month of September, uh, which has been absolutely incredible. Um, we uh, have been raising money for St. Jude uh, Children's Cancer Research Hospital throughout the entire month. We've done many special events, including our podcast-a-thon. Um, I will remind you we started with a goal of uh, $75,000. As we are sitting here today, as we are approaching the very final day of September, uh, we have currently raised $296,000, Jason. $296,738 has been raised uh, by the Relay FM audience for St. Jude, which is absolutely unbelievable. It is an unfathomable amount of money. Thank you so much. To everybody who has donated, this is an incredible showing of support for a wonderful cause. You can still donate, um, put it just over that 300000 Maybe we will hit that before the end of the day. I really do hope so, because why not just hit another incredible amount of money? Um, just thank you so much. It's really, you know, from the bottom of my heart, and I'll, and I'll say it for Stephen too, um, and all of us here at Relay FM, the amount of money that has been generated for this cause really means the world to us. So thank you so much. Uh, you can go to stjude.org slash pineapple to donate to support childhood cancer around the world. That is stjude.org slash pineapple because uh, St. Jude are an incredible organization to help so many people. So thank you so much for that. Isn't that an yes. amazing amount of money? It, I, On one level, I am completely blown away because I remember you standing at, at my house in my backyard and saying, well, we're really, we're going to get to 75,000. So we're really going to have a goal of 100,000. And here you are. At uh, nearly triple that goal. Also, I start to think about well, nearly quadruple. What the heck we're going to do for next year? I don't even want to think about that. Yeah, if we hit three hundred thousand, we quadrupled our original like seventy-five goal. But yes, sure, tripled the one hundred, which we tripled really the secret goal. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know what we'll do next year, but boy, howdy, we're going to try. <laughs> so we'll think yep. about that. We heard from lots of people uh, in, App- oh, in Apple Retail uh, over the we last did. week about we the retail experience. Jason, before we do this, though, actually, I would like to share an Apple Retail experience that I had because it also kind of sucked. Oh. Um, oh, well, listener uh, <laughs> Mike, I'm upgrading Mike. Tell uh, me your story. I want to tell this story before we talk about the feedback that we got. So uh, we'll talk about this later on in the episode, but I am now an owner of an Apple Watch. Um, I pre-ordered what? it. What? No, uh, <laughs> come I would on. never have guessed. Who could have imagined that I would have ended up buying an Apple Watch? A ceramic one after the conversation. Ceramic. Oh, what a surprise. What a surprise. To everybody's surprise. Um, I ordered it, you know, as you do, out of my pickup window. I went and then waited for 30 minutes just at a table while... You know, there were other people coming in, other people that were coming in after me, getting picked up before me. I had to go and remind the guy that I was there before anybody came over, you know. <laughs> and it's this whole thing of like, go wait at this table. Go wait at the table. And it's like 20 people around the table. They do this wild thing where in their system, they're like describing what you look like. I saw a friend of the show, Alex Cox, right. having an, an issue where uh, they took off a sweater and then couldn't be found by an Apple Store employee. Right. They were telling me about this like yep. a couple of days ago, so... Yeah, yeah, but you don't change your that would be a great thing to do, right? Go in with like a jacket and a mm-hmm. and a hat and sunglasses and then as soon as they leave, take those all off and see how long it takes for them to figure out who you are. 
Yeah, so I didn't have a great experience in, in the Apple Store either. Would you like to go through some of the uh, feedback that we did get from Apple Store employees about what's going on here? Yeah, we definitely heard from a bunch of people uh, trying to, you know, some of it was explain, some of it was defend, some of it was, it, there was a lot of stuff because we're talking about the retail experience and obviously it's close to them because they're working in it. Um, definitely got some feedback from people who who basically were saying, look, this is really hard. It's very busy. We did a pretty good job. Uh, given how much pressure there is on a launch event, which I totally get. I, I don't think our point when we talk about this stuff is to say that Apple Store employees are not doing a this good job. This is not on the employees at all. Is it the system yeah. that is created around them? Exactly right. Our point is is not, hey, Apple Store employees, uh, you work harder or anything like that. It's that Apple needs to be solving some of these issues that come up and considering ways to refine and improve the process next time. Uh, but it's a process issue. And I believe that they about. are. In the same way that like the upgrading process from phone to phone gets better mm-hmm. every year, I wouldn't be surprised if every year they are refining, they are refining, but neither thing is perfect, right? Yeah, so- I've, I've actually even heard through the grapevine that they're at least toying with the idea of some of the stuff that we mentioned. Um, the idea of, for example, if you have an online order, like I was saying about how I ordered my watch mm-hmm. and they said it's gonna, it's not going to be there for however long, for a few weeks, but it's in stock at my local store. Having, you know, they're apparently, at least through the grapevine, this is what I hear, uh, at least investigating the possibility of how could you convert an online order into a store Breaking order. news. So you, <laughs> Jason Snell no, says uh, that you know. Apple is the, the cons- might, somebody might be considering I mean mm-hmm. I, that's not a guarantee that it'll happen that's but I enough. think that that's not surprising what we said yep. is it's not surprising that um, Apple would be looking I mean right they would be if you're an Apple store executive you were not doing your job if you aren't realizing all the places that yep. you think the system is a little bit weak um, and are wondering and some of the answers may be wow that's not going to solve this right uh, but thinking about it thinking about it because th- there are some issues right like if you order your Apple watch and it's not going to be there for two weeks then and, and it hasn't shipped yet and you go into the store can they convert it mm-hmm. maybe but what if it's already shipped well can they can they divert your UPS package at that point or they're like sorry it's already shipped uh, but as we said last week you end up this in this situation and this happened to me where uh, you go and buy an Apple watch and then you have to do a return because then the, the other one comes a week later and it's got a one of them has to be returned at that point and that's not great for Apple because they have to they have to restock it and there's cost associated with it. So I'm sure they're looking at stuff like that. The question is, you know, how complicated is it? How much uh, work do they want to do to make it happen? And uh, does it, you know, does it work out in terms of their their set of priorities for next year? But that, I have no doubt that they're that they're looking at it and and so that's that's good. That's good to hear. Um, I also heard that, you know, at some stores, they they will, in, in the example of the letter writer we got last week, at some stores, I, I heard from somebody who said, you know, at our store, if that happened, we would absolutely see if that Apple Watch was in stock. And if you're already being helped, like, they'll bring out the watch in the band and, and ring you out. And that's the end of it. Like the um the reservation system is is supposed to be for peak times when they don't have enough employees it should not be deployed ideally when it, what the letter writer said was there's basically nobody there and the store had just opened and there was nobody waiting in line and and that letter writer was told um make an online order and come back in 2 hours and and so i i definitely heard that that sounded unusual at least to one particular apple store employee in their store um 
I also heard from somebody uh, just an interesting bullet point about wired transfer, you know, where you can actually plug the phones yep. in and transfer the data over a wire, which is not particularly uh, faster than doing the wireless connection. And what they said was wired connections are really good in the Apple store because everywhere in the Apple store are iPhones that are shooting out data over Wi-Fi to do transfers or whatever. And it is a hostile environment for data transfer. I bet. Just uh, as, right? Yeah. And, and as well, just having that as an option, like even just so you are confident that even if the Wi-Fi for the entire store dropped, that you're not going to have to start this process all over again, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a it's a, a smart thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think again. I don't. I don't think it's the Wi-Fi of the store because I don't. I think this is all point to point, device to device. But the problem is they're all using the exact same spectrum, which means that you know, for those who remember way back to when Steve Jobs had to tell everybody to turn off their computers so that he could demo a Wi-Fi feature, like you can saturate. Uh, the uh, the the spectrum around yeah, you with Wi-Fi like and then the connection billion wife like devices connected to the Wi-Fi in any app store at one time right? exactly <laughs> or or transferring data over yep. a wireless transfer right mm-hmm. like there's so many different ways that works so anyway that was an interesting little data point that the wire one of the ways that that wire transfer feature makes sense is actually in Apple stores when they're doing that mm-hmm. um, and then I heard th- from a few people that. Uh, the delays with the watch and, and getting the watches out to you and, and why they need to build in time to do it is actually about what we speculated about, which is that the watch studio approach, which is very clever because they're no longer kind of saying, well, you can only have this watch with this band because now they've got a bunch of boxes with bands and a bunch of boxes with watches and they put them together in the little wrapper, the little cardboard wrapper that goes over them with the two tabs. And now, oh, you've got an Apple watch with a band, but you got to pick. That's great. They got to put those together backstage and then bring them out to you. And that is a delay because you can imagine that they are getting, they're prepping all of their watches for pickup from customers and they've got a backlog and there's somebody back there who has to, and it's not just sticking them in, right? They've got to like scan them and mark them as being for this order. And it's like, there's a lot going on to do that. And that's, this is an example where there is a potentially frustrating buying experience on the outside of the store that needs to be improved, Mm -hmm. but it's actually being caused by an innovation that they're doing that is making, that is less customer hostile, which is you don't have to buy a band you don't want. You can buy the band you want instead of what they used to do, which is you had to buy the watch with a band you don't want a lot of the time and then separately get the band you do. Or you have to wait because while they have your watch and they have your band, they don't have them together. And so there's nothing you can do about it. Like that's, it's great that they're taking that part and uh, separating it. Uh, but the bad side of that is that it can cause some d- delays while the assembly is happening in the back. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So, but uh, the, yeah, the big issue is is um, like when we talk about uh, the iPhone setup experience or any other aspect of this, what we're not saying is, in this case, the Apple retail employees are doing a bad job. What we're saying is, how could this be better? And is what are the weak spots? And is Apple trying to figure this out? And, and what, what are some possibilities? And I think that the Apple Store employees are 
working hard under difficult circumstances whenever there's a product launch. Um, but those those moments of stress are where we can get glean some insight into what's working and what's not working at Apple Retail. And uh, and they've shown in the past that they are interested in improving the the system, and that will make the the process better for the employees and the customers, hopefully. I just have a couple of headlines for uh, Upstream. Uh, Apple has released three trailers to highlight its children's content for Apple TV+. Plus. So Snoopy in Space, which we've seen already, but they've they've got another trailer for that. Uh, ghost Writer, which is a show where four friends team up to figure out why a ghost at a haunted bookstore is releasing fictional characters into the world. And it's a mix of like live action and CG. Uh, yeah, and in the trailer... And that's, a, that's a remake. Yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah they bought that property right. That's it was a nineties yeah mm-hmm. TV show yeah, and uh, I believe in the trailer you can see the kids all using iPhones, which is there you go if you wonder that sort of kind of stuff. It's product in there. placement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another trailer for Helpsters, which is the Sesame Workshop project. This had stage time during the Apple event. If you remember when uh, Big Bird came on and introduced another character, and they talk about like coding and stuff like that, right? That's this show. Um, all of these three will be premiering on November 1st as part of the original slate of programming that Apple will have available, which is in just about a month um, before Apple TV Plus will be rolled out to people. And uh, TiVo, Jason, your favorite. Uh, TiVo customers will soon oh see ads before their recordings. Pre-roll oh, ads for all customers, no matter what their subscription level is on any device that runs the software called TiVo Experience 4, which is their operating system. Uh, they will be skippable yes. ads, which makes me wonder why even bother. Well, I mean, the TiVo has ad, TiVo has ad skipping anyway, and so if it feels like they've just decided, well, why don't we just put pre rolls in and people can skip those too, or not? And I don't think it makes any sense. TiVo is not the company that made TiVo. It's a company called Rovio that renamed itself TiVo after it bought the assets of TiVo. It uh, <laughs> that was I, a confusing I, sentence. All right, so it's, right? Well, it's not the original company anymore, is what you're saying? No. Okay. No, they got they got bought by a company that owns a whole bunch of intellectual property and various patents oh. on various things and stuff like that. And they they are. Uh, I'm not. I, I'm really not sure what they're doing other than. Uh, trying a bunch of stuff out it seems kind of baffling to me when this this was first reported i think everybody kind of assumed oh this might be a way because there's a monthly fee to do tivo that this might be a way to try and encourage people to buy the product by making you know amazon style right with special offers like a cheaper version of tivo or the tivo service that has some ads in it and then you can you know or you can pay more but they they said nope. We're just going to put this everywhere. And the demo is really disappointing. The other thing about this is, well, what's a what's the big deal if you press play and it starts with an ad? Because maybe your recording started with an ad anyway, and you just press the ad skip button that you press anyway, and you skip the ad. Well, it's like two things. One is your question, which is if the people who use your service skip ads, why are you putting an ad in and making it skippable? Because it's like, okay, first off, it's they like don't want to see the selling, ads. And, one of the main selling points of the entire product, yeah. right? Like, this, is, it, yeah. is it just that there are some people who don't know how to do that and they just press play and sit there? I don't think, I mean, I'm sure some of those people exist, but it seems very, very strange to focus on, on that kind of a market. Um, so it doesn't make any sense. And then the second thing is the actual experience. You talk about us picking apart Apple Store experiences. The TiVo experience, at least in the beta that somebody posted on the internet, you press play on your recording and then you wait because it's slow and it's loading. And so you have to sit through the pause as it loads the ad and then it starts playing the video ad. And then you press the skip button and then you wait as it because it's bad 
software uh, until it shifts to your actual recording, and then you can see the recording. So if, if it were seamless and they were patching in, it would be one thing, but you're also sort of like waiting for the ad to buffer or something. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what. It's such a bad idea. And I, I would be more up in arms about it except for two things, one of which is I am not on TiVo Experience 4, which is also called Hydra, which is a it's their really lou- lousy overhauling of their user interface. I don't like it at all. Um, so I'm not using it. I'm still using the old version, and uh, which they've had for 15 years, 20 years, and it's great. Um, and the other thing is, I feel like the the era of the DVR box is is coming to an end. Um, that uh, if, and this is why I think it's really dumb for them to do this is. Um, all they're doing is providing an impetus for people to finally just cut the cord and stop using TiVo and use a cloud DVR and just be done with TiVo or go to their, you know, their cable company's DVR. Like their whole idea here is they're a better experience and you have to pay for it. And it's a third party experience, but it's better. Um, For me, like the time is coming and I can see it coming now where I just don't have a TiVo anymore and I'm using an app for an over the top you know, TV service that's got a cloud DVR, whether that is Hulu or uh, PlayStation View or YouTube TV or something else, Direct TV. Uh, there, there are a bunch of other options. And once, if TiVo degrades its its service, that'll be a reason to jump. Um, but I will probably jump eventually anyway. The number of of TV shows that I watch that come over the traditional, even though I have a cable subscription and I watched shows that come from the fact that I'm paying for cable, the number that I'm watching off the hard drive of my DVR dwindles by the week because even like I watched a new CBS show yesterday. Um, I I didn't even bother recording it because I have CBS all access. So I just watched it on CBS all access. I didn't even need to watch it. Uh, I could just stream it. So, I don't know. It's it's sad that this is how it's ending uh, for TiVo, but this does feel, to me, it feels just like the death throes. Like, they're desperate, and they don't care, and they're trying to see what sticks. And uh, it's baffling to me that they would do it this way. But, oh well, it was good while it lasted. It was the, it was the best DVR, and, uh, uh, but, you know, all things come to an end. So it goes. Let's do a good ad. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks, the wonderful people Ba-doop. at FreshBooks Ba-doop. that can help. Ba-doop. Hey, stop it. Stop it. You stop it. Over oh, there. sorry. Let's talk about FreshBooks okay. instead. FreshBooks save you time. You don't have to worry about skipping stuff. You can save time with FreshBooks. They simplify tasks like invoicing, expense tracking, and getting paid online. FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. Relay FM is one of these companies. We use FreshBooks here because it's so simple. It's so easy. Their invoicing system is so wonderful. You can just go in and choose from some drop downs, just type in some basic information. Stuff is saved so you don't have to like re enter. Like line items every single month, they're, they're saved into the system. Uh, I love that we can set up all of our clients there, so we can just select a person, select the line items that we're billing, and it's really easy to do. And also, you see when you're uh, creating the invoice, it shows in their system how you're going to see it. It's like a WYSIWYG editor, right? So you're going to know exactly how it's going to look when it lands with your customer. You can email them. You can even have FreshBooks mail invoices for you if you want that. Then once you've sent the invoice. 
once you've sent it out to your to if you've emailed it out to your client freshbooks will show you whenever it's been seen you can see if it's been open multiple times you can see if they've even printed it because they're going back to the freshbooks page to grab that invoice this puts an end to guessing games and you can even have freshbooks automate late payment email reminders for you so you don't have to actually spend that time chasing and just go back to doing the work that you want to do if you're listening to this and you haven't yet tried freshbooks and you ever send invoices or ever do expenses and all that kind of stuff you have to give them a try they're offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial to listeners of this show there's no credit card required just go to freshbooks.com upgrade and say when they ask you you know oh how'd you hear about us say on the upgrade program our thanks to freshbooks for their support of this show as freshbooks.com upgrade so uh let's talk about the iphone um again okay uh we're gonna talk about the iphone and the apple watch again today because there's more there's still more to say there's still more it's to say september this mm-hmm. is what we do well, have you because, heard the you know, show things keep things keep moving on right like uh, 265 episodes later like you know what we're gonna do right we've had the phones for a couple of weeks and yep. i think especially even especially with this iphone the more i use it the more i have to say on it um because i keep finding new things or i keep you know new stuff keeps happening but you wrote your review um, and I wanted to get meta with you a little bit. You wrote your iPhone 11 review, uh, which encapsulates both the 11 and the 11 Pro, right? You kind of like review them both at the same time and yeah, call they out all the go differences together. where needed, but they're, they're very similar phones. Um, but I wanted to kind of ask you, because you published it uh, yesterday, which is about a week or two after the original reviews went live. And I kind of wondered, is it tricky to write a review after the embargoed reviews have gone out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's very much so. Because if you get the product under embargo, then you know that your review is going to land with all of the other reviews at, uh, at the starting, the firing of the starting gun, whatever mm-hmm. that embargo is. Every review will drop then. The way it works generally is you get the phone probably at the event. You get a product either at the event or relatively soon thereafter, and you're given a time. So you can't post this before 3 a.m. on Tuesday. You're like, all right. So you've got a deadline. And that, that it, it's actually quite freeing in the sense that if you're handed it and there's no embargo, um, like if literally they, they hand you something and that's happened to me where I've gotten, I think the iPad was like that, where I was given the iPad just before the review embargo dropped with that as my embargo. But it essentially meant that by the time I drove home or like to, I think I drove to like Dan Frakes, house for Macworld. And then we, and then we wrote about it. Like everybody else had had time with it. It's one of those things where you, you, you can write about it now, but what will you say? You haven't used it. So what would you do? And that's where you yeah. get a lot of those sort of like, anybody have any questions for me? <laughs> because I haven't used it yet. So if you're not in that first group where everybody's gotten time to look at it and consider it and they're all dropping and it really is the news about like, what do the reviewers think of this thing that isn't out yet? Um, after that happens, like I literally got, I knew those would be dropping on the day, the Tuesday uh, morning because I had a briefing at noon on Tuesday and I thought, oh, well, the embargo will be before that. That that's sort of the second wave. Uh, reviewers, that's what they they do is they don't give it to you before that embargo drops. They give it to you right after. So I got my briefing, and then I'm sitting there having not used these products until just now, and there are already a dozen deeply considered 
several, you know, almost a week of time thinking about it reviews online. There's no point in me even dashing off a review at that point, right? Like I'd be late, uh, whatever, a day late and a week short (laughs) of experience if I did something like that and it wouldn't be any good. So then it becomes this kind of conundrum, which is I still want to write about it, but I want to take the time to use the products and I can't be part of the, uh, you know, tell me whether I want to buy this thing anyway, because so many people bought it on the on the pre-order date before any reviews were up. So, you know, in my audience especially. So what is it? It becomes this question of like, what is it? What What is this review even trying to do? And I struggle with that when it's when it's one of these. I want to take my time with it. I don't want to rush something out because there's really no point. But at that point, you know, it needs to have a point of view. And it ends up becoming, in this case, you know, it's different every time. And this was very hard to write because there was so much else going on. Yep. iOS 13 stuff that I was writing. I'm packing up my daughter to take her to college. There's lots of things going on. I, and so it was a, it was a and struggle. And then a week later, you can't write the review, which is like, let me tell you about what this phone's all about. Because we know that now. And we already knew all the specs anyway. I mean, that's a challenge even if you're an embargoed reviewer. So what do you do? What do you do? And I just decided it's it's kind of um it's kind of a movie movie review after the fact of just like a, a an essay about it. It's kind of about what's missing and what it's kind of like big picture about like what does this mean strategically for Apple? What are the choices mm-hmm. they made? Mm-hmm. And it, and you know because in the end basically what I thought was this is my essay about the iPhone 11 and what I think it, it what I think is interesting about it and what I think it means because mm-hmm. in truth I don't think it can serve the purpose you know if I was writing it for the wire cutter or something I would say to myself well what's going to happen is that this story is going to get into Google and people are going to search for it who are looking at buying an iPhone 11 in December or in March and they'll use this as buying advice. But I don't think my audience is that audience. So instead, I just tried to make it about, uh, you know, what do I think about this big picture? Uh, what are the the features that, dro- that jumped out at me? The decisions Apple made when they were making this thing? Where do they go from here? Um, you know, and, and is that the right decision? I don't know. It's a weird position to be in where, like, they briefed me. They gave me the phones. I, I want to be on the record about it. But... I'm also not interested. I'm not under embargo, and I'm not interested in writing a quick hit piece that's, like I said, a day, essentially a day late and a dollar short. So instead, you know, it went on longer than I would have liked. I would have liked to have posted this a week after, but like I said, with the other stuff I was working on and the fact that we were packing up my daughter and driving her eight hours, and then the next day driving her back or driving back without her, I like. I got I got got delayed, so it took a little bit longer than I would have liked. But it finally did pour out of me the last parts of it on on uh, Saturday, and uh, that that was good. Because I guess as well, right? Like the other thing is you have to find like an angle, right? Like you have to find a a reason for it to exist, right? And I wonder like, if like yeah. that is becoming. Do you is that becoming more difficult over time? Like. Because, especially like these phones, they don't change a ton, and it's true that probably makes it tricky. And then they're also adding more to the lineup, right? There are like three phones now, so I guess that makes it tricky. But 
is it like you know you you do a good job with this is it practice for you like do you think in a different way like how do you end up being able to work out what your angle is going to be well i think the challenge is that it used to be a lot easier to take the big picture as the as the long lead review the long term review uh-huh. because the short term reviews were very focused on all the new features yep. when there aren't a lot of new features uh, I mean, and you could see it like the Verge review is like this and, and John Gruber's review is like this. Like when when there aren't as many, you those reviews end up being kind of the let's step back and think about what this means. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, guys, leave me something. <laughs> like, I mean, you got to just just talk about the just do a Geekbench score. OK, just throw do, me a do, bone do some, here. Do, do some image samples and move on. So. Uh, but yeah, that's the, that's the challenge. And so, you know, I, I think what I've come to is at least in this cycle, and we'll see what happens next time, uh, where I've come to is basically what I need to do is think about the big picture and write an essay about where the iPhone is and where it's going for people who care about that stuff, because I feel like those are the people who read my stuff Mm. and, um, and focus on that. Now, you know, could I have the, the challenge is that like all the, the iPhone is so big that all the angles are taken because back in the Macworld days, what I would have probably done is focused on let's focus on speed and we'll do battery life testing and we'll do we'll do an image sample jury and compare it to other phones and all that. But the fact is, most of those angles are taken by somebody, right? Like I'm sure, um, you know, Mark Spoonauer at Tom's Guide is doing the comparison with the photography of the Google Pixel 3. And I'm sure that uh, the DisplayMate guy did his whole review of the display on the uh, 11 Pro and they how did. it compared. And, and said it was the like best everybody's one. Everybody's <laughs> got every little piece of that. And then iFixit is taking it apart. Like all of those bits are out there. So, you know, again, I come back to what can I say that's, you know, even remotely interesting and different on this? And that's where I ended up, which is so, so the piece, a lot of it is, I mean, some of it's experiential about the, about like night mode and how I think they really nailed that feature and how photo, when we talk about photography, it's not just the hardware, although it starts with the hardware, it's also the software about how, you know, how you pick what you upgrade incrementally when you do an incremental upgrade, like Apple does so often and how this year they picked the, I think two most important things, mm-hmm. which are battery and photography. And, uh, and then, you know, I talk about the positioning, which we talked about on the show a lot, like the idea of making the 11, the center, making them, what was the 10 R the mainstream phone and, and what that means in terms of like saying, you know, the iPhone is a, is, uh, uh, is not a thousand dollar phone. Yeah. That's the pro model for, and how I think that positioning marketing wise is way more appropriate for the product line and makes the makes apple look better to say yeah we do sell a thousand dollar phone but it's the pro model up there you if that's a if if you don't want the pro features just get this it's this is the iphone like i so i i did a little bit about that and 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 in the end i did a little thing about like where do they go from here and where i'm kind of musing to myself about like what's left what's the frontier for apple here and that you know you put it all together and that's a you know four or five thousand word essay and and then you you press save and <laughs> take some pictures and you post it. 
One of the I wanted to quote from you that I really liked, and it was an interesting thought that I hadn't I hadn't considered and I hadn't seen anywhere, which was about the pricing changes. So I read a little quote from Jason's review, which is very good, and and as one of the reasons we talk about it is because you do surprise me, like how this in these situations you always turn out something that is interesting to read. And and I read it and I think to myself, how did you manage to do that? Because I feel like I already know all this stuff. So that's why, that's why I, it took me all this time to yep. figure out what to say. Is hey, like, can I come up with something interesting here, please? It doesn't matter something as long you as you haven't do, seen before, right? Like, it doesn't matter yep. how long it takes as long as you have something good to say about it. But uh, so this is the quote I want to read. Let's all consider the narrative about Apple trying to goose iPhone revenue in an era where sales are flat by raising prices. Yes, the top of the iPhone price list is the most expensive that it's ever been. But with the iPhone 11, Apple has cut. $50 off the starting price of last year's iPhone XR. Granted, this is the same starting price as the iPhone 8 in 2017, and it's $50 more than the 7 ones 2016. Still, I wasn't expecting Apple to cut the starting price of any iPhone ever again, and here we are. This is fascinating to me, because there's a bunch of stuff about this iPhone which is really interesting, right? Like, people have said, oh, 13 was so buggy they should have delayed it. But they couldn't delay it, because they delayed the iPhone... They would have pushed it into the next quarter and Apple would have missed their guidance and Wall Street would have just d- obliterated them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it would have been a disaster if they would have done that. So they had to release it when they did. That's why iOS 13 has been so weird because the iPhone could not be delayed. But then I hadn't considered this, that all they have to show for the iPhone now is it's not unit sales, right? It's just revenue now. Is that right? That's how they yep. do it? So That's how they do it. Now that they are only focusing on the revenue, they've cut the starting price of their most popular model and have repositioned that phone even more strongly that it should be the most popular model. That is a very interesting decision that they've made, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... it's, And again, I mean, maybe you could make the argument that when the most interesting thing about an iPhone, I don't know if it's the most... One of the most interesting things about an iPhone release are, is the marketing and pricing decision. But I would argue that that it's always interesting. <laughs> like I think that that that's one of the most interesting things, at least for me, about a lot of the choices Apple makes is why did they choose to price it that way? Why did they choose to call, especially like the naming? They they try so many weird naming things across the product line, and we talk about it on this podcast. But uh, so I look at this and I think, well, that's really interesting. Like they have last year was a mess, right? Last year, it's like Roman numerals and then letters that are pronounced and there's Promax and all of those things. Like, what does it all mean? And it was because they really wanted to do the iPhone 10 with the big X and charge $1,000 and blow people away. All right. But then they're li- they lived it, they had to live it down last year. Mm-hmm. This year, they're like, okay, reset 11 and made this decision not just to take the 10R and upgrade it and make it the you know, and and do a new version, but to make it the 11, to make it the default. And I know most of our audience is like, eh, I'm going to get the pro, right? I, I get it. But the default iPhone, the iPhone 11, not the oddball, not the light, not the, you know, the, like the 10R, which was sort of like this weird, like, what does the R mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's the iPhone 11 is that model and that they did that. And that, and that the more surprising thing is that it's $50 less than the 10R was, which, as I said, I kind of gave up on Apple taking a price slot and reducing the price. Mm-hmm. But they did it. They did it. And it benefits the entire product line to have that product there at that price. Um, and the, you know, Apple said it's the, the 10R was their best selling phone last in the last year. Um, 
presumably that's broken out pro and pro max separately but still you know that's that's pretty good so um i i just i think that that's i think it's an interesting move on their part when you say last year you don't mean pro pro max you just mean 11 and uh, 11 max well right? i mean that like 10, when they the say 10, the 10 are 10s and yeah 10s <laughs> oh my god we're so confused we're lost max. in this i tried to correct you yeah. and made it more wrong but i think people know no, what so we're right saying. right like the 10 are outsold i don't think they mean outsold the 10s collectively i yeah. think they mean the the they didn't say but i assume they mean it outsold the individually the 10s or the 10s max exactly um but still pretty good so uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a risk on Apple's part too, because if they say the cheaper phone is more uh, central, are they going to end up selling more of them percentage-wise than they sell of the Pro line? And does that hurt their uh, revenue per unit? Does it hurt their revenue? Or does it help their revenue because the lower price gets more people to buy? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a, It's a fascinating decision, but I think... Assuming that people are still going to buy the Pro because they want to buy the Pro because that's the one with all the fancy features and the and the different sizes and the better display and all of that, I think it's still better to have those be marketed as Pro phones. And so, anyway, I, it's just it's fascinating because this is this is the biggest product consumer product around, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're still tinkering with how to sell it. Um, I mean, it comes back something that you and I talked about six months ago, maybe, which is the idea that Apple now has to market the iPhone because it doesn't sell itself. Yeah. And that, like in the Apple stores, they're doing more aggressive, like actual sales techniques in Apple retail stores. Yep. Um, this is like that too, right? This is Apple like mopping the sweat off of its brow a little bit and saying, all right, how do we, let's get down to business here. How do we really set up these iPhones so that they sell? I wanted to talk about uh, the two main features, <laughs> camera and battery, a little bit more because I've had more time. We've all had more time to use the phone. Um, yeah. I am absolutely, unequivocally in love with the camera on this phone. <laughs> it is absolutely fantastic in every way. Uh, I was just in Munich this past weekend. Uh, I was at my brother's stag in Oktoberfest. Funnily enough, Tim arrived just, to, they, just as I was leaving. <laughs> I cannot talk about whether I spoke to Tim. I didn't. Uh, but it, it was, you know, he, just, he just pops up sometimes. Um, and I'm going to include in the show notes uh, an Instagram story highlight that I made of like just some of my photos that I took in Munich. And I'll say these are pretty much all edited in uh, Visco, the software you know that's like filters and edits and stuff so any of the photos that look good they are uh they're edited in, in visco um but what comes out of this camera is just stupendous like the i am absolutely in love with it i think it's fantastic i'm having so much fun taking pictures with all of the different lenses right like i'm working out which one's the right one and comparing them trying to understand when to use what. Um, I had, and I actually had a real world instance where the auto cropping thing worked for me. So there was a group shot that one of my brothers was cut out of and the iPhone had actually automatically arranged it to bring him back in where it's using the wide angle lens. Yeah, because they're using, they're doing some machine learning analysis of mm-hmm. objects and people uh, in video and in stills to figure out that there's something outside the boundary of the frame that you probably want and yep. then automatically 
including it, which is, and I was, if you think about yeah, it, that it's, is it's bananas. And I was so happy to see it like in a real world test, it actually worked for me. And I was like, yeah, thank you, iPhone. You did it. Um, I would say though that like, so I crop a lot of my, I crop my images uh, before I post them to Instagram. Just to, this is a top tip for people. You post, if you take a picture and you edit it and you want it to look really nice on Instagram stories, Crop it to 16 by 9 or 9 by 16 like in the portrait before you upload to Instagram because otherwise Instagram does like a weird compression to it. Very strange. Don't know why that happens, but it does. Pictures always look better if you crop them first. But when you go into that mode, there's like an auto cropping and arranging now, right, that the system will try to do, which is new. And you can turn it on and off on a, on a picture by picture basis. It tries to crop it for you. But there's like a, you can do like a vertical and horizontal adjustment, which basically like warps the image, like makes it feel like it's coming towards you, right? My phone seems to do that a lot, and I have no idea what it's doing. Like, it's like, why would you make the image look like that? So there's still some tweaks to be made to some of the, the auto cropping. But the, I was super impressed by the fact that it was able to fix that group photo for me, which otherwise would have been completely lost. So I really loved it. Um, I absolutely love this camera. It is fantastic. Um, and I also wanted to mention the battery. I've been traveling. It's not at battery case levels, you know? Like, it's not like you can go with this thing forever and ever, no matter how heavy you're using it, right? Like, if you've got, like, the battery case. And I can't wait for the battery case, because, like, who knows? It's just, like, the things that last forever. Uh, but I was using my iPhone incredibly heavily, as I do whenever I travel. Um, and just to, to save my own anxiety, like, I'd top it up a little bit when I was, like, back in a hotel room or whatever. But I never hit red on my iPhone. Um, and I'm taking pictures yeah. all the time. I'm taking video all the time. I'm using it for directions, podcasts and music when I'm walking around. Like when I'm traveling, that's when I'm hitting my phone the hardest. And I wasn't willing to go through the test of not topping it up when I had the opportunity, right? But I never got into a situation where I had to turn on um, the battery saving mode or mm-hmm. it hit the red. So the the battery on this phone is serious. Yeah, it's. I feel like what there's a lot of debate about. Like, if you're really somebody like Alex Cox, who is using these phones to do Pokemon Go and things like that, and you're killing the battery, or you're in extreme travel mode where you are using it for a long time or using it really intently, like there are going to be scenarios where you're going to want uh, to charge and top up, or to have a battery case, or yeah. to have an external battery. But I think. In you know the normal normal use on an extended day, not having to worry about it is basically what has happened, mm-hmm. which is good. Like that's that's I think that's the number one battery anxiety for a phone is just, am I going to be able to get through the end of the day? If you're doing something more extreme than that, then yeah, bring a bring a battery or make sure to charge up. But uh, you know, by by adding several hours of battery, you're you're able to get you're not going to be able to go through a second day, right? It's still it's not adding 12 hours of battery, but it's adding no. enough battery for you to get through your your normal day without worrying about it. Yep. They're just it's a great phone. It's really really great. That camera. Boy, oh boy, that camera. I absolutely love it. Blows me away. But that wasn't the only product. We actually didn't get to talk very much about the Apple Watch because you just got yours and I didn't have one. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about the Apple Watch. I have some questions for you, Jason, about okay. the Apple Watch Series 5. I stand um, ready to answer. 
thank you very much. But first, I want to thank a new sponsor to the show, and that is Direct Mail, an easy-to-use email marketing app designed exclusively for the Mac to help you create and send wonderful-looking email newsletters. Email marketing is still an incredibly cost-effective way to reach your customers and to grow your business. And for the past 15 years, Mac users around the world have trusted Direct Mail to handle all of their email marketing needs. It is designed just for the Mac, which means it's fast, it's easy to use, and works great with other apps and services that you're already used to. You can save time by integrating with over 1,000 other applications and services that are on your Mac and on the web um, to help you grow your mailing list as well. You can create email sign-up forms that you can add to your website or to a Facebook page so people can sign up. Um, And you can have email campaigns sent automatically without you ever lifting a finger and so much more. Uh, Direct Mail have real human live chat support for their customers. They're available to answer your questions. It's actual people that you can talk to, not a machine. And Direct Mail is the number one top-rated email marketing app available for the Mac. Five-star reviews on the App Store and everywhere else. It's trusted by small businesses, nonprofits, schools, and Fortune 500 companies alike. Direct Mail is free to download and get started, and listeners of this show can save 10% off of all of their full-feature pricing plans. If you go to directmailmac.com slash upgrade, you can check it out. That is directmailmac.com dot com slash upgrade and you'll get ten percent off when you opt for a full feature plan. Our thanks to Direct Mail for their support of this show and Relay FM. I bought the ceramic uh edition watch. Mm-hmm. It had been long rumored uh that I would do it by me and you and I did it. Um so that's that. Uh it includes uh-huh. a sport band. Did you know that? The edition models they include a sport band. No matter what band you get. For fun. They have the pins in a matching material. So I have oh. the white sport band, and it has a uh, white ceramic pin in it, which I'm very That's happy nice. about because when the... So th- there's a long story for me with this. Uh, I love this watch, um, th- and I've loved it for a while, the white ceramic. It's previously been around in the edition line, and that was what it came paired with, which was a white sport band with the white ceramic pin. And I was really upset when they had the, the configurator because they're like, oh, I can't get it. It's not an option anymore, but they include it in the box. If you get a titanium, you get a different color. I think you get like a gray kind of stone, I think they call it, and I believe it has a titanium mm-hmm. pin, not the aluminum pin. So I've been wearing it. All white, uh, white and white for about a week. I absolutely love the way this watch looks as a as a piece, right? Not I'm not talking about like this looks great for an Apple Watch. I genuinely think this is a very good looking thing to wear, which is why I opted for this one. Um, for me, this is just like an item that I want to own because I think it's beautiful, right? Um, it is not as I would say it is not as like fancy looking as the other watches that I own. I feel like even though it is an expensive item, it is more of a casual watch for me from look perspective. Like I wouldn't wear this if I was wearing a suit, right? If I'm going out right. for a nice dinner, I would not wear the Apple Watch. Um, I am still. This is. I think this is going to be a bit of a journey for me, Jason, because I am still. Not sure how and where the Apple Watch fits into my life. I can tell you unequivocally, no matter how much I enjoy it, this will not be an everyday watch for me. Because I love my other watches too, right? And no watch is sure. like a watch that I wear always. I've ro- I've ro- been, I rotate. I have a couple and I rotate with them. And I see what I'm feeling and what I want to wear. But the always-on display has made this a product that I could wear comfortably. 
because without an always-on display, the Apple Watch just can't work for me because I want to be able to see the time on my watch, right? Like, that's what I want. And I noticed that I am catching it in the always-on display mode a lot because I'm using the California face and the, the red second hand that I have disappears, right? Yes. So I know I am, I am reading it a lot, which tells me that if it wasn't an always-on display, I would be very frustrated because I would not be able to see the time when I want to, right? Absolutely. Um, and I assume, I mean, I know for you, the always-on display, uh, well, it's new for all of us, but you were wearing Apple Watch, right, before. Yes. So have you found that to be as nice an experience as you were looking for with the always-on? Absolutely. It's enormous. Like not only are the times where you where I have to train myself back into the habit of being able to glance at my watch without doing a kind of dramatic wrist flip. Yeah, I like that I I haven't had been doing that, right? Cuz I'm not used to doing that, like raising my wrist up to my eye level to see the time. But right. I can I have imagined that all previous Apple Watch users are still trying to train themselves out of that motion for the for the time being, right? Well, and also what I've noticed is a, sort of an inter- interim. So sometimes I'll just look at it and see that what the time is and and then note to myself that I did that and it wouldn't have worked before. Mm-hmm. Other times though what I'll do is I'll I'll uh, turn my wrist a little bit to look at the time and sometimes it will trigger and sometimes it won't trigger. Yes. And I'll think to myself, well this is good because I don't need to worry. I've I've seen the time now. I don't need to trigger it whereas before I would have had to do a, a, another flourish in order to get it there. And when it does trigger, I think to myself uh, well, you know, whatever. That's great. It, it it will it will dim almost immediately when I move my watch back. It's doing some very interesting things in software where where if you if all you do is just move slightly, it'll brighten up for a minute, and if you don't interact with it after that, it it very quickly or you move like turn your wrist back away, it it kind of like dims very suddenly. It's yeah. it's funny how smart it's trying to be with the power saving, but um, the funny thing is that I will look at it. And then it will brighten up, but I've already seen what I need to see, and then I just turn my wrist away and, and move on. And it's just another reminder that before it was not just turn your wrist, but turn your wrist and wait, and now it's on, and now you can see, and then you can go about your day. So, yeah, it's a fantastic feature. Marco on ATP last week made a, a very clear case for why this is the number one new feature of the Apple Watch, more than cellular, because... In the end, you know, a percentage of people actually use the cellular features, but, you know, everybody looks at the watch to yes. see the time. And, you know, it's telling that Apple's Apple's ad campaign is it tells the time, right? Yep. Like even Apple is like, yeah, okay, yeah, you can you can see the time on it, which is always was the joke, right, about when people would ask me when I was wearing a Pebble. They're like, well, how do you like the digital, you know, the computer watch? And I'm like, well, it tells the time. Like number one is it tells the time that you got to get that right, and uh, the always on makes it vastly superior. Yep, I think like you know I'm I'm in agreement here. I, I think it's the biggest advancement to the Apple Watch since it's in in like since it originally came around. Everything yep. else has been like this is nice. So they're adding more sensors. That's great, but like this fundamentally changes the product in a way that it should definitely have. Right, like this is something yeah. that should have been around for a long time, and I'm pleased that it is. However, it is mm-hmm. the the watch faces themselves, oh, which boy. would mean that I would never leave the analog world behind. 
Um, and I'm I'm going to be echoing some of what Marco said on ATP. It was a great segment. Um, great because segment. I am in agreement with him. Well, mm-hmm. one is that I feel like I can never get exactly what I want, which is more no, frustrating it, to me here. Isn't like as as many options as the California face off offers. It's still I still feel like they are very close in some ways to the face that I want. Yep, but they, but they still aren't it. there because uh, my my realization the other day was that the face that I like the best is still utility which they haven't updated for the new screen sizes, which means it's the old style complications Mm -hmm. and it's more limited, but the face itself is exactly the face that I want. It's the face. And it's honestly, some of that is just nostalgia. That's the face of the two analog watches I wore from, you know, from when I got married and that was a, that was a wedding gift. And then I replaced that with another one that was similar and they look just like that face. And it's like, I like that face, but they haven't updated it. And although you can get close with the California face, it's not quite the same. And Marco's point, I mean, Marco came strong out of the gate because he basically said, uh, for, I mean, first he said that Apple can't design analog watch faces and that's harsh, but I think maybe fair. <laughs> um, and his bigger point, which I think is, is the strongest point he made, which is for the, for all the importance that watch faces have, they are the primary interface of your com- fancy computer watch. It sure feels like Apple doesn't spend proportionally as much time on it as they do other parts of the watch. And I think that's I think that's a strong point. I, I get that they need to build out an app store and they need to fix these bugs and they have to have to make new APIs for standalone watch apps. And like I get it, but you gotta do the it's like what we said last year, right? You gotta do the faces right. And if you're not gonna do third party watch faces, then it's incumbent on you. You have taken by by preventing other people from building watch faces, you are now responsible for doing a good job building watch faces. Yep. And although the watch face story is way better in this new version of watch OS, it really is way better because they have created more flexible faces. Like it's still with all the improvement that they've made, still not good enough. It's just not good enough given how important it is. I like the California face, but California yeah. with more than one uh, when you take it from full screen to circular so you can add corner complications yes. is a horrific mess. Like <laughs> in its square version, I think it's the best looking Apple watch face. And it's like when it's filling up the screen and you have one complication. Uh, or do you I think you have two, a date and a complication. In the smaller style, it's a nightmare. And plus there's too many complications for me anyway. I don't want five or six. I just want like a couple. But I feel like that they there's still more they could do. Like, I don't know, just give me a piece of software to let me literally make my own from a bunch of drag and drop things, make, put it on my iPhone, right? Like, let me make it. Let me do it. Give, like, give me the tools to build my own watch face, right? Like, just, I don't know what you want to do if you don't want third parties to make them. But I think that ultimately, there is nothing that Apple can do ever to give me a watch face that I'm going to prefer over an analog watch face because it's the materials on a real watch that I love. The different textures, the way that light hits it when you turn it this way or that way. You know, like... Sure. The way that the hands stand up from the face, right? Or like the way that the indices, like the numbers and stuff, like the way that they're layered and the material that they're made of and how does it differ, right? Like, you can't give me that because it's an OLED screen and it's always going to be an OLED screen. And like, this is not a, like a slam against Apple, but it's just like for... If you are a person that 
enjoys these types of things and watches, there's only ever so much that they can do anyway. So, but the thing that frustrates me is my computer watch can't be customized enough. Yeah. And I'm just like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, let me do. You, you get, they get so close, but they never nail it. And I'm not buying mechanical watches, and I am basically all in on the computer watch. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way as you, right? Okay. Like, I, I, I'm not concerned about it being so good that it replaces a, a, a mechanical watch. I, I just want it to be good. And I, I think that. Apple knows, and that's good, that like there are things that it will never be able to do mm-hmm. that a mechanical watch can give you. And that's fine because it's, it's got its own strengths. It is its own thing. It is a computer watch. I get it. Um, but yeah, it, it could be better. And I think the frustration with the California face is in some ways it's exactly the right path for Apple to go down. And maybe the, this is the thing is that they did like these two new super flexible faces. And... um. They put all their work into that, and then they're you know the others are around, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's okay. But like I feel like they did a lot, but it's still not enough. And I don't know what the answer is there. I feel like the answer is either that they need way more people and resources put into making their faces good, and I don't know who is doing faces. I mean, what Marco said is, as a mechanical watch fan, he feels very strongly that whoever is making these decisions at Apple doesn't understand watches. That they are maybe a designer who has a watch or likes watches, but he feels, and I I can't say, maybe there is somebody who absolutely loves watches and for some other reason they don't get to be heard at Apple. But in the end, the output to somebody who is really into mechanical watches feels, and I totally get what he's saying, feels like they don't get it. And that, that it's people who don't wear watches designing watches. And that's a bad place to be in. You want somebody who is aware of, and I'm not saying that everything they do should be trying to fulfill the desires of people who like fancy watches, because that's absolutely not true, because that's not their whole audience. What I am saying is, I think there's truth in the idea that if you don't spend all your time thinking about how other designers have applied themselves to the issues of watches, you're, you know, you're not going to have the best output. And I think that's where Marco is coming from when he talks about this. So I, I get that. And I, I feel it too, as somebody who is not an obsessive watch person, I feel that same way. I think it's really telling that this boring face that was part of the original watch face lineup is still my favorite, even though they have done nothing to update it to the new complication formats or to the new screen size. And it's still the one that I like the best. I also like Marco's bit about uh, giving up on analog faces altogether and embracing digital. I use I use Infograph Modular way more often than I ever expected. Oh, and, it, and, and, it, it, and it's ugly. But you know what? With the new watch, I'm not using it anymore. And that's because I don't want to look down at my wrist and see numbers. I want to look down at my wrist and see those hands. And now with the always on display, I can do that. Um, so I'm back to the analog faces again. I too. understand it's a, it's why people use the infograph faces because you are embracing what the risk computer is, which is like to give you all of the data. And yeah. I used to be like that, but now my tastes have changed, right? So yeah, like, honestly, it's not that right now. My Apple watch face has the date and then I'm using uh, underscores new moon plus plus because I think it's nice. Like so, it's mm-hmm. a moon complication that actually uh, it, it is accurately representing 
the moon as it is in your location. And I just think that like it, I have it in monochrome, so it's black. I have the black, all black face, and just everything's white. So then when it goes into the always on mode, the color doesn't change, right? Because if I had like the blue or the like, there's like a when on the edition watch, it has like its own color called edition, which is like a kind of off white. If I have that color, when I turn my wrist, my watch lights up in my face, which I don't like, right? So I like I now have it so it's always so there's not too much difference between the dimmed mode and the regular mode, right? Because that doesn't work for me. I don't want my watch to shout at me that it is available to show me the time. Are you following what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Right. So if you have it as a color, it just like poof, just lights up. It's like no, you. That's not what I want. But anyway, I really like this. I just think that it is a. This is just I think the nicest looking that I've been able to get my watch to fit my own tastes as a as a as a person um but i just don't think that it is i have an option really to be to make it like more computery um i am happy to have the health monitoring features back it's good to know i've been doing the ecg stuff for fun right like but there is also when i'm putting it on and it's walking me through i set it up as a new watch it's walking me through all the things that it does you know like it can do all the fall detection it can just monitor my heart whenever i want it's making sure i'm moving around i'm reminded again you know i hadn't forgotten but it was a nice like refresher of this is one of the reasons that this thing is such a good product is that you have an extra peace of mind in your life that there is a device that is strapped to you which is making sure you're being healthy i like that yeah. um I'm really struggling with notifications, though. <laughs> I feel like it doesn't matter how much I bring it down, it's still too many. And I'm wondering hmm. how you have your watch set up, kind of like from a notifications mindset. Do you let it monitor, mirror what's on your iPhone? No. Okay, so you've... No. What, what do you... Kind of like at a top level, what kinds of things do you have uh, going to your watch? Calendar notifications, mm-hmm. messages... And some like so, a couple of smart home notifications, like yep. when my door locks and unlocks, because I'm using that complication actually to uh, unlock my door. It's one of these things that frustrates me is that my smart door lock will pair with the Bluetooth in my phone, but not my watch. So when I leave with just the watch, I have to manually unlock the door when I come back because it right. should be able to pair via Bluetooth and talk, and they don't, and it's I, I don't like that. Um, so I've got those, but that's it. That's it. Like I, I have turned off most of my notifications because right. I don't want them. I want if somebody texts me, I want to see it because that is I, I will feel that on my on my watch a lot, and I actually really like that, especially with the canned answers. I can I can have whole conversations with Let people with nothing but canned answers. It's the great. Standard canned answers make you sound like a crazy person. I have I had a conversation the other day with I I think with Stephen Hackett where I actually started answering with weird not quite right responses because I just thought it would be funny and they he didn't say anything about it. So kind of uh, they are so straight to the point sometimes. It's like if you're answering like trying to have a conversation with somebody that they have no emotion in them. I feel like then I I'm sure that there was supposed to be a little bit more smarts added to this stuff, and I just don't feel it. But I would like to. I know you can add some of your own, and I've done that in the past, and I should do it again for this watch. But like I want to. I've been thinking a lot about notifications, right? And here's one one thing that's been bugging me, um, because the most of the stuff that I have really it's like 
as you calendar, iMessage, Slack, right? Like they're basically the three applications. And then maybe like my airline, right? Like my British Airways app can send me notifications because I feel if I'm traveling, I probably want to know. Yes, that. that's but that's true. Yeah. It's like direct communication applications are the things that I want the most. But so here is a, a thing that I want to put to you. If I'm sending you a message in Slack, I DM you and I'm I'm send you four DMs in a row. Do you need to be notified four times? I don't think that you do. I I agree because it, it should be intelligent enough to know that I did a notification and you haven't seen it. Just wait. You know if yeah. I've seen it, watch. Just wait. That's right. This is my biggest problem. Also, I would say um, just a little thing. I, I don't even have Slack on my watch. Like I don't, yeah, I, I don't, I, 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 and I know you run your business on Slack and, there, and, but like there is nothing in Slack. I don't have the app. It's just the DMs. Yeah. No, I, but I don't have those turned on. There, there is nothing in Slack for me important enough to buzz me on my watch. <laughs> yeah. I, I understand that for a lot of people. That's not the way it is for me. Right. Like, yeah, I have like, if you need me, you need me. But here's the, here's the thing for you and the way you use the watch. Cause what I'm really talking about is is when I leave without my phone, have it be on the phone and not go to the watch. And then well, that's you don't how I have to deal with it on the stuff. watch. Yeah. But, so like, but I'm like, this is it. I'm trying to like work out what's best for me. And again, underscore, who I mentioned already, you made Moon Plus Plus, he said to me, why don't you just turn haptics off? And I was like, that's not a bad idea. Because then I can just check my notifications whenever I'm ready to. So I'm thinking about trying that as like another thing because I find the haptics mostly distracting because of this idea, right? Where like, say there's like a group thread that I'm in. I mean, I have a bunch of group texts. Oh, I don't want to, I know everybody's oh, yeah. put some do not disturb. I don't want to do that. Like, I don't, I don't feel yep. like I need to do that. But like, if the group thread is popping off, tell me one time until I look. I have had that happen. And it, that is very frustrating where where suddenly a group thread that I'm on that I don't have notifications turned off. And I, I, I will give you another little secret, which is a lot of my group threads, I've just turned off notifications. I see the little yeah. alerts on my phone, but I've turned off the haptics and all of that because it's because it will they're having other people are having a conversation and I'll get buzzed. I will walk in the dog mm-hmm. and I'm at the dog park and my watch will will tap me like eight times in the span of 2 minutes yes. because other people are sending emojis to each other and it's like I don't please unsubscribe me from everything here. And it it is Yes, I agree. It needs to be smarter about like, oh, there's a conversation going on. Now you know. You haven't tapped through to look at it. So please leave it alone. I wouldn't give up haptics because I like them when you know, I've gotten to a happy place where my distractions are so minimized that I really want to get tapped on my wrist when there's something going on. But I agree. If I was getting, if I was on a group text and I was getting tapped every 20 seconds, I would mm-hmm. go bananas i would just be like and that's why i've turned off notifications for some of my threads because it's like stop you people stop i don't want to hear it and i feel like i i feel like i've been begging uh apple for this for a long time please let me get granular well, and the intelligence thing, and I think Apple does this with iMessage to a certain degree, and that's actually part of the funny thing is that um, I, I think some of this may be that Apple has to enable this for, for third-party apps, but maybe not. Yes. Maybe third-party apps could do some of this on their own. But like, yeah, the intelligence to say, 
I don't want to be notified. Like they, they made lots of notification center updates on the phone. But it do, I agree with you. It does sort of feel like you need some notification, more granular notification preferences for the watch of like roll up all the alerts. Mm-hmm. Like if I get a second alert from the same Slack channel or DM, like I don't I don't need it or or within a certain period of time. It's like stop. Yeah. Don't bombard me with this. It's all part of the same thing. One notification is all I need. And then let's, but it doesn't seem to do that. Siri, I found to be mostly okay. The raise to talk sure. feature, I really like, and I'm still kind of getting my head around like when it, what, how close you exactly need it to your mouth to get it to work. But I do like that feature. Um, the give me a moment type stuff is still eternally frustrating. I yeah, I don't that. understand why that happens when when it. Uh, I've had good luck with Siri lately on the watch, where it's actually worked pretty well. Um, to do things like set timers, which is most of what it is, is I've got like, I've put meat on the grill and my hands are, um, you know, I, I'm trying not to touch anything with my hands until I can watch them. And I, I will lift my wrist and I, I'll tell it to set a timer. And that actually works most of the time. But yes, there is nothing more frustrating than having it do that kind of like loop where it's, you know, give me a moment. I'm not able to listen and I don't know why that happens. And it's uh, really frustrating. Yeah. So I, I would I would say that on the whole I've been happy with Siri as well. Um I've found that I have not had issues where I've asked it to do something and it has misunderstood me. When I can get it to to listen, right? Like when when I and, and when it's executing the command, it is getting correctly what I'm saying to it. So I find that is, you know, as someone who's been away from the watch for a while, it's something that continues to get better. I have absolutely no battery life complaints. The watch is lasting a whole day for me. Um, I had one day where I got the 20% warning at like 11 p.m., but that's it. Uh, I say this because it seems like it's a bit of a mixed bag for a lot of people about the battery life. I want to know what your feelings are on it, but for me, as somebody who is who never had a Series 4, right, that I find the battery life to be great. It's lasted me a whole day. Yep. I I agree. I I have the larger model. I've heard the, you know, the complaints with the smaller model. I also, I think John Syracuse's data point where his wife's uh, Series 4 lost battery life on iOS 13 is interesting that there are some other bugs at play here. Yep. I haven't had a problem with it. Okay. Yeah, so that had no issues there, so I'm happy with that. That's working. It's working great for me. So I don't know what my life is going to be like with the Apple Watch, but I like it. Um, mm-hmm. And But I, I feel like I still need to get my head around the notifications part like i actually yes. could, you know i like it as a nice looking product and as a nice watch and it's a bonus that i can com- interact with it in computer like ways but i i will follow up if and when i work out how i'm going to actually be running this thing i might give the uh no haptics a go i don't know i'm still trying I'm, I'm still in the tweaking mode um but but i do like it but the one thing that i have recognized is that idea of like Give me one notification for a conversation. That that's all I require, um, and and then move on from there. All right, let's do some hashtag ask upgrade to finish out today's episode. But first, let me thank our final sponsor of this week, and that is our friends over 
at Pingdom. Pingdom are amazing because they help keep the sites that you love online, including your own, which is why you should be using them. Pingdom, monitor your site so you don't have to. They give you real-time feedback so you know exactly what's going on. The internet is awesome, but stuff breaks all of the time. They detect over 13 million outages every month. That's one of 400,000 outages a day, and that's just of the website that's, that Pingdom are monitoring. So there's more happening all the time. So many more outages. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company, you need alerts about critical website issues because if you put something online, you want it to be available. Otherwise, why did you do it? Pingdom will cut, tell, will let you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of an outage and they will also track and analyze your website's load time and so you can see what's affecting the user experience. Uh, we use Pingdom here at Relay FM, and every week we get a report about how the website's been and, and all that kind of stuff. So we know, right? We could just get a report from them. This is what it's been like over the last week which is really useful. Doesn't matter what type of website you have. Doesn't matter how big it is. You need Pingdom. They have a no-fuss approach to get started. You just give them the URL that you want to monitor. They take care of everything else so go to pingdom.com slash relay fm right now you get a 14-day free trial of no credit card required and use the code upgrade at checkout and you'll get a wonderful 30 percent off your first invoice so thanks to pingdom for their support of this show and relay fm let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions delayed response on the lasers there but i'm happy mm. they finally came through his first one comes from crazy town crazy town asks last week i upgraded to an iphone 11 pro from a 7 plus Based on rumors about the 2020 iPhone, should I stick? Should I return my Pro or stick with it, uh, or wait until next year? Now, I, this is a difficult question. We get these kinds of questions a lot, right? And I wanted to talk about this. You could wait forever for the next phone to come along. Yes. If you Indeed. like it, just just keep it. Because look. The 2020 iPhone will be better than the 2019 iPhone. The 2021 iPhone will be better than the 2020 iPhone. If you waited from a 7 Plus to upgrade, you must be loving your phone right now. Just give it another few years and upgrade again. Don't focus on the future that much, right? Unless you're like a few weeks away. If you just bought an iPhone after so many years, don't return it now and get, I don't know, like another 7 or whatever to wait for 2020. Get your next iPhone in 2023 and be happy about the advances that you'll get then. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I actually tested. I brought. I pulled out an iPhone 7 and tested it, uh, the, the speed test thing mm-hmm. with the new iPhone 11s. And it's, you know, it's three times faster on single core and four times faster on multi-core. Like, it's a huge, the 10 jump alone was a huge jump and 7 is, is preceding that. So... I agree with everything you said. I think you should keep it. I think next year, yes, will there be new iPhones? Sure, there will. There will always be new iPhones. Um, you have a 7. It's probably time to go. Um, 5G is lurking next year, but I think 5G is not going to be super relevant to people mm-hmm. for a long time. And I I think, honestly, with a 7 Plus, I think you've waited long enough, personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you, you want to go back, go back. But I, I would say you are always going to be in the boat of, well, what about next year's model? So don't worry about it. Because I bet you in 2020, then people are going to say, well, is Apple's foldable phone? Okay, you're just going to keep going forever. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, forever. you know that uh, that Ming-Chi Roger Kuo is going to have a report next July about what's in the 2021 phones. And everybody's going to be like, well, but the 2021 phone's going to have this feature. And like, yeah, okay. You just have to buy a phone sometime. There's always, it's always going to be, yep. here, here's bad news, everybody. The technology you buy this year will be obsolete at some point in the future. That's it. That's, That's how it the works. sad truth. Mm-hmm. That's just, and there's nothing to be done about it. 
David asks, It seems weird to me that Apple launched Apple Arcade without an update to the Apple TV, given that the product is two years old. Do you think this is a sign that Apple is giving up on Apple TV and that they're doing a rethink that isn't ready or something else? I feel like... Well, I actually... Look... The Apple TV hardware as it currently is, is all that it needs to be to run the games. Like, it can handle them. They're they're built in this way. And I think Apple putting Arcade on the Apple TV in the first place is a good sign of their belief in the Apple TV product. Right? I agree. Because they did it. I think the Apple TV 4K um, doesn't... I mean, I'm sure they will update it at some point Mm -hmm. to put a faster processor in it, but... I think it's in a pretty good place, and I agree with you, Mike. I think that the fact that Apple TV is part of their strategy for games is a, is a good sign for Apple TV and the Apple TV hardware. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't think they feel they need to update it that often and that it's good enough right now, the 4K mm-hmm. model. Uh, and they only update the Apple TV every, you know, every so often. So it's just not – I think it's fine. I don't think I it's a sign a, of anything. Uh, I took delivery today of an Xbox One S controller. Uh, to pair with my Apple TV to try that whole experience out. I'm going to give that a go. Nice. Uh, John says, Photos has mixed up the people options on my devices, and it now thinks that me and my brother are the same person. Jason, is there any way to fix this? (laughs) It's bad. I hate to say it, but I think what you need to do is go to the people album and and select all and delete, Mm -hmm. uh, which will basically... um, reset your people database and then it's going to rescan and you're going to re- need to retag everything you could the other thing you could try to do is delete that person that is you and your brother and then go in and manually tag a bunch of things as you and as your brother and see if that will feed into them you know right. to the the face scanner going back through but that might be a better better first starting point first right? and then step, if that doesn't but I, work but I think in the end, you may actually need to, uh, you may find that the right thing to do is to just delete the database and start again. Uh, yeah. D. Khrushchev asks, would you sacrifice the additional battery life on the current phones in exchange for the return of 3D Touch? I miss 3D Touch because I think haptic touch is slow in places, but the battery life is more important than 3D Touch in the grand scheme of things, because especially because haptic touch can be made better. Apple can can tighten that up they can tweak that um and i really hope that they do there's some stuff it's just so slow like all everything on the lock screen getting notifications on the lock screen launching the camera it's slow and unreliable and i want to see apple get better at that and i think that they can uh but i believe that the battery life is a more important thing overall for more people would you agree i agree completely um i don't miss 3d touch much at all and the places where i do use it they can tweak it a little bit and the battery life is more important. And it's a feature that I think most, I think Apple knows for a fact that it's a feature most people did not use. Yeah. Oh, they wouldn't have got rid of it. If everyone was using it, they wouldn't have gotten rid of it because it would have been wild. Uh, Eric asks, what are your thoughts on the clear case for the iPhone 11? Have you used any of the clear cases? I have. I mean, I don't like them and Mm -hmm. I bought a leather case for my um, iPhone 11 Pro. Mm-hmm. So that tells you how I feel about the clear cases. Um, Jamie's got a clear case on her iPhone 11. Yep. We'll see how she how she likes it over time. I mean, the case trade-off is always about protection. I mean, she she wants to see her purple iPhone, and yes. I get it. Like, if you want to see it, then uh, then then you want and you want to show it off. Like, you want to have the clear case. I don't love it, 
but I don't love that case, regardless of whether it was clear or not. I, I just I don't like the feel of it. Um, I don't particularly like the look of it. Uh, and so it's leather case for me, as as usual. So I will say uh, the clear case has gotten more grippy for me. I don't even want to think about why that's happened, but it's less slippery it's now. It's the oils in your skin shh, are slowly shh, denaturing shh, shh, the plastic. I don't want to talk about that right now, but thank you. Uh, yeah, it's gotten grippier. Uh, Bacteria I am also using from your hands have transferred again. to the... Okay. Yeah. And the pop socket helps too, right? I mean, I'm not telling everybody to do that, but that is a thing that, that I use. Um, the biggest problem with the clear case is that lint gets in it. And oh boy, it gets just, it just gets everywhere. And you can see it because the phone case is clear, but I really love my midnight green iPhone and I want to see it. And I don't want to do what Casey did and drop it. So, and lint smash. Lint is on so, the inside. Lint is on the inside. Don't, look, I don't want to talk about that's it. Ter- right? That's it, terrifying. It happens. <laughs> By the way, my advice for Casey, who dropped his phone and broke the back of it, is. Get the get the leather case, and you won't even see that it's broken, and you can live your life. That's what I say. No, I think he just needs to go and get it fixed, because that's wild that he's not got it fixed yet. Anyway, um, last question comes from John. This is related. Mike, does your pop socket show up in frame when you use the ultra-wide camera? No, it does not, but my fingers do sometimes, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, when I re- oh, better hold the phone differently. Have you seen that? Like It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's my fingers. But no, I put my pop socket... It's now over the Apple logo because it goes in the middle of the phone, uh, and I it never see my pop socket in the in the ultra wide. So, just wanted to. I know people. I had a bunch of people ask me that. So, fear not. It depends where you put it though. If you put it next to the camera, then yeah, you probably will. But that seems like a terrible place to put a pop socket anyway. Uh, if you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag #AskUpgrade, and it will go into the document, and we can pick it out for future consideration uh, i'd like to oh wow there's more lasers thank you to so the, the hashtag lasers this week yeah exactly and direct mail and fresh books for their support of this show uh don't forget you can still donate to saint jude go to saint jude.org slash pineapple as we finish this episode jason we're at two hundred ninety-eight thousand two hundred eighteen dollars so it feels very possible now that we will hit uh three hundred thousand dollars so thank you so 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 much to everybody that has helped us raise that money for saint jude this month if you want to find jason online go to sixcolors.com you should definitely go there and read jason's iphone 11 review because it's awesome uh you can also find him at jason now j-s-n-e-l-l i am i mike i am y-k-e on social platforms you should follow me on instagram if you want to see some of the photos i've been taking oh i did want to mention as well i took a picture of adina i don't know if you saw this picture uh and it's quite possibly i think the best photo i've ever taken and it's a portrait mode photo i absolutely love this camera jason Oh, it's so good. So good. It makes me feel like such a professional. Um, so, yeah, if you want more more uh, of, of examples of the pictures that I'm taking, uh, you can go there. I'm finding uh, mobile photography to becoming more of a hobby of mine, um, mm. and it's because the, the software and stuff is so good. Uh, and, again, I'll recommend Visco uh, for that if you are interested in trying to just bump things up and try out some different ways play around with what the, these apps have to offer it's really fun there's loads of great editing tools anyway we'll be back next time until then say goodbye Jason Snow slash pineapple pineapple